various people to do various things. And oftentimes he calls those people, and those people acknowledge and know that they are not worthy to do what God has called them to do. I have seen and heard people speak that I wish I could speak the way they do, but in reality they have nothing to say. Then I've heard people speak who don't do such a great job and have very in-depth and valuable things to say. It is better to stutter and say the truth than to speak well and lead people down the wrong path. But I wish God would give me both the ability to preach the word correctly and to do it with style and panache and, and all of that. But for some reason, he has chosen not to. But doesn't mean that I'm not required to bring the message. And there's no more time that I feel alive than here. And so uh, I apologize that God has not called a better speaker. But I do hope that you get, and today I actually do have three points to give you, and I'm not going to let you kind of figure them out. I'm going to tell you what they are when I tell you what they are. So it won't be a surprise on the test. Okay. So where we are is Jesus has just fed over 5,000 men, including women and, and children. And on that, in Matthew chapter 14, starting with verse 22, it says this, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him on the other side, while he sent the crowds away. Now the other Gospels tell us the reason that Jesus did this was that the crowds, because having been fed with the bread and the fish, wanted to forcibly take him and make him king. I think, I think he sends the disciples away that they not get caught up in that whole, let's make you king now. So he's protecting them to get them out. And he, because you're thinking, well, the disciples, 12 plus, who's ever around with him, would help with crowd control. But Jesus gets them out, and he sends the crowds away. And after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was alone. Now, Jesus has had a very busy day along with a very busy time. He's been healing. He's been um, casting out demons. He just fed the multitude. He just sent them away. And Jesus, the Son of God, goes alone to pray. Now, this isn't a point, but this is an add-on. If Jesus, who's the Son of God, who's doing the will of God, goes and feels that there is a time that he needs to go away and privately and pray, maybe you and me need the same thing. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, 
battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Here's the first point. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They got in the boat, and they were going to the other side. But the waves and the wind were contrary, which means they were against them. Point number one, even if you do the will of God, doesn't mean there will be no opposition. All too often, people seem to think, well, if I do the right thing, my life will be perfect. And if I mess up, then God will be mad at me and do something to hurt me or, or take something away because he's mad at me. They're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. And the winds and the waves were still contrary. So we need to understand, oftentimes, being in the will of God does not mean perfection or lack of opposition. right? That's important. And it was the fourth watch of the night. He came to them walking on the sea. Now the fourth watch is about between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So it has been a very long day. Jesus has been praying. They have been rowing and doing whatever else, having a, a small sail, trying to get to the other side. And apparently they're maybe about halfway or so. It's not been an easy night. They have been against the opposition of the wind. It's been hard. But they've also worked and been with Jesus that whole day. He came to them walking on the sea. Now I find this interesting because Jesus could have got on the other side of the sea any way he wanted to. He could have materialized over there. He could have flown. He could have but he chose to walk. I think he chose to walk so that the disciples might see him walk as opposed to just materializing on the other side and saying, well, Master, how would you get here? But it's been a long day for Jesus as well, and yet he chooses to walk on water across the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, they're not expecting Jesus to walk by. And let's face it, none of us have seen anybody walk on water. So you're going to assume that it's some kind of disembodied person because anything that has any weight would sink. Except, I guess Jesus could say, have I been with you so long? You don't know what I'm capable of. I can turn water into wine. I can raise the dead. I can cast out demons. I can feed over 5,000. I can heal from a distance or with a touch. So maybe it's no big deal that I can walk on water. Peter said to him, Lord, 
If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said to him, come. I find this interesting. Peter goes, well, God, if it's really you, then let me walk also. Let me walk on the water. Now, the person walking on the water, if it wasn't Jesus, could lie. Come on. For you ladies who have been doing the Bible study, because I think Peter, after having spent more than a year, we're coming up on the second Passover, understands the voice of Jesus. So when Jesus says come, he has confidence in the voice of God. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked and came towards Jesus. I want you to see something. Peter first got out of the boat. Now, we're going to criticize Peter, and you've probably heard other sermons where they criticize Peter a whole lot. Peter got out of the boat. Peter walked on water. Peter did what seems to be impossible because he believed God called him to come. All too often, we're like the other 11 or so in the boat. We'll just say it's kind of dangerous. The wind is contrary. The waves are, but it's better than being out of the boat. But Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water. He didn't sink immediately. He made several steps towards Jesus. So maybe when it seems like it's difficult and when Jesus says it seems difficult, but I say come, maybe we should get out of the boat and walk. Now I find this also interesting. Two of the four Gospels besides this one, so there's three Gospels that talk about this incident. Matthew is the only one who tells us Peter walked on water. Not sure why nobody else leaves that out, but Peter walks on water. But, this is not a good but, but seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to seek, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, this is where we're going to get into criticism of Peter. But Peter is going to do exactly what we all do. When we see problems, we focus on the problem. Peter started seeing the waves and started thinking, I shouldn't be able to walk on water, even if it's calm. Seeing the waves, he began to see because He's focusing on the problem. And that seems to be human frailty. I'm going to use two examples. Hopefully, well, one of them you probably never were, and the other one I hope you don't experience. Is I uh, enjoy football. I love to watch the game, and as a uh, father, 
I use football as an opportunity to teach my son about life because I thought football was one of the best sports to teach about life. And one of the examples that I would say even to him was, you better hope the head coach's son is a good quarterback because the head coach's son is going to be the quarterback. Now, my grandson says that's not true because his dad has been head coach twice. He's still not had a chance to be quarterback. But it's been my observation, and when I see teams play on the local little league level, it's usually the head coach's son who's the quarterback. And so the example I want to share with you is the quarterback. Quarterback's position is to take the ball and get it to another player to advance the ball down the field to score a touchdown. And frequently, to do that, he will what we call drop back and pass. Now, the other team has something to say about that. They're playing defense, and they don't want him to pass the ball. So they have what's called linemen who are very large, very strong men who rush the quarterback to sack him. Now, sack him isn't, oh, we just dropped him. What they want to do is not only knock you down, but knock you down and fall on you so that my 300 pounds of weight falls on your little body. And so when these guys are coming towards them, there is what's called pressure. And usually then when the quarterback feels pressure, he starts leaving what's called the pocket, the the offensive lineman trying to keep other people from tackling him. And so he feels the pressure and oftentimes will run out of the pocket. Now, if you hear commentators, they will say that a good quarterback does this. He keeps his eyes down the field. He doesn't look at the pressure. He's looking to throw the ball to a receiver who's open so that he can do his purpose to get the ball advanced down the field and maybe score a touchdown. But if he did what we generally do, see the pressure and concentrate on the linemen who are trying to stack him, he's never going to see down the field. Example number two. And this one, if you drive, you may experience, hope not, but I want you to remember what I'm about to tell you. If you're driving and you spin out, the tendency is if you see a tree and you don't want to hit the tree because we don't want to hit the tree, what most people do is look at the tree. They look at the problem. And as I was taught in a driving class, a race car driving class, one of the fun times of my life, the professor, the teacher, the the driving uh, professional said, do not look at the tree. Look where you want to go. If you look where you want to go, you will drive towards where you want to go. But if you keep looking at the tree, it's 100% guaranteed you'll hit the tree. Both of those are examples, just like Peter. You look at the problem and not where you want to be. 
And if you look at the problem and concentrate on the problem, it usually hits you. And that's what happens to Peter. He starts to sink. So he cries out, Lord, save me. Now, it's a good thing God is God and not me. Because I say, hey, you, call, you said if, I, if I'm me, come out to me, let you walk on water. And I said, okay, you're on your own now. Get back in the boat yourself. I'm so glad Jesus is Jesus. And immediately he stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? But I want you to notice something. He had little faith. Little faith allowed him to walk on water. The problem was the little faith did not keep him up because he started concentrating not on Jesus but on the water. And that's my point. Stop looking at the problem and keep your eyes on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says this, starting with verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, of faith, for who the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus has called you to be his disciple. Jesus has called us to follow him. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. And we are told to fix our eyes on him. A good quarterback keeps his eyes down the field. A good driver avoids hitting things by looking where he or she wants to go. And an obedient disciple doesn't look at the problem, but keeps looking at Jesus. And those who are in the boat worship him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Here's the other thing that's interesting about little faith. It only goes a little way. You see, Jesus, as I've been recounting and as we've talked about, turned water into wine, healed the sick from near and from far away. Raise the dead, cast out demons, 
did all sorts of things, fed multitudes, walked on water. And yet the next time problems or difficult circumstances or that the wind and the waves blow contrary, we wonder, can Jesus do it? They fall down and worship him and acknowledge who he is until the next difficult time. And we need to have more faith so that it's not the circumstances we're concerned about. It's not the circumstances that dictate our following him. But keeping on, keeping on, watching him. Several years ago, my son was uh, had to swim a certain distance in a certain amount of time to qualify to do something. And so we were over here at the Westminster Pool, and he was swimming. And he was a decent athlete, but, you know, we didn't have a pool, so we didn't swim a lot and whatever. Um, but I was confident he could do it. But it was a good distance. And there came a time when he was swimming that you get tired. And when you get tired swimming, and even when you're not tired, you and especially that's why they put a little black line in the pool so you can see the black line in the pool. So if you don't have the black line, you don't have a guide. So he's swimming, and he's getting tired, and he's starting to swim in an erratic fashion, which obviously is going to hurt his time because he's not, as they say, the quickest point between two points is a straight line. So I start calling to him. Hearing my voice, he starts swimming towards me. Even if it's dark, you can't see Jesus. You can still hear him. And he's still calling out to you. And he still wants you to win the race. He's not interested in you coming second, third, or fourth. He still wants you to win the race. Let us run this race that's set before us. Fixing our eyes, paying attention with our ears of his voice. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all the surrounding districts and brought to him all who were sick. And they implored him that he might just touch the fringe of his coat. And as many as touched it were cured. Now you would think Matthew would stop at this point and maybe start telling us about the crucifixion or whatever. Because, I mean, this is, I mean, his disciples have finally come to the profession that he's the Son of God. But Jesus still has work to do. Jesus still has healing to do. Jesus still has preaching to do. Jesus still has teaching his disciples who he is so that when 
the crucifixion comes and when the burial comes and when the resurrection comes, they might be remember what he did and what he taught. So one of the comforts that I have as a pastor is that maybe, like Jesus, you might not do as his disciples did, learn what he taught at the time. But I am confident that there will come a time when the Word of God will come to your memory and you will say, I remember, maybe I ought to get out of the boat. I remember, while I'm out of the boat, maybe I ought to keep my eyes focused on Jesus and not worry about the circumstances. And maybe I shouldn't worry about when I'm doing the will of God that there's wind and waves blowing against me and it's really hard and I'm still out in the middle of the water when I should be on the other side by now because I'm doing the will of God and it doesn't matter what the opposition is because I'm doing the will of God. And doing the will of God with opposition is still better than being on the shore without it. Because I'm here to tell you, it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's about him. So in a moment, we're going to sing a song that deals with this. Fix our eyes on him. best way you can do that is to do it. In football, they practice. The quarterback is used to being rushed. Now, he knows in practice that 300-pound linemen are not going to fall on him. He gets to wear a red shirt so that nobody gets to touch him because he's special. But he still has to run around, and he still has to practice keeping his eyes downfield so that he can throw the ball to the receiver who is hopefully open. And if you have the opportunity to take a driving class and they teach you how to get out of a, a spin, that you remember, don't look at the tree, look where I want to be. And the next time in life, you see a small wave. You don't look at the wave, look at him. The next time you see a medium wave, you don't look at the wave, you look at him. Now, next time you see a large wave that's a tsunami in size, you don't look at the wave, you look at him. Because the wave is not going to save you, Jesus is. And all God's people said.